Hello. Hello, Ginger. I just wanted to make sure we're still going to church after our card game on Saturday night. Yes, of course. Great. This is the first message in the new series, and it's about why people cheat. It always seems like Mark knows exactly what's going on in my life. What? You, you mean you're cheating? Yes, I'm surprised it took you this long to figure it out. How long has this been going on? About a month. Does Frank know? Of course he knows. He's the one that gave me the idea. Oh my. I thought I knew you better than that. Well, that's why we always beat you both at bridge. Wait. Bridge? Yes. I've been cheating at cards. What did you think I was talking about? Oh, never mind. Hmm. Well, I'll see you Saturday. Ooh. Jeepers. Well, I think you know I'm not going to be talking about cheating at cards today, right? Why do people cheat? I mean, it's probably one of the most devastating things that can happen in anybody's life. If you discover that the person that you love and you thought would be true to you has betrayed your trust. I've watched it through the years as you have break apart families, break apart parents from children, bring disgrace and shame to people's lives. It seems like something with such a high price tag and causes so much pain. I think we all ought to stop this morning and ask the question, why do people do it? Now, right out of the box, I want to let you know that I'm not talking about serial cheaters. I'm not talking about people that just couldn't be faithful who have no honor because that's a deep spiritual issue. There's a darkness in the heart. And, and today, we'll push that aside and we'll save it for another day. But we want to talk about why do good people cheat? Why do normal people cheat? Why do people that pretty much keep their word in other aspects of their life, why do people who have honor, why do they fall? Because I think that's what you and I want to know. My guess is if you're here today, you're not somebody that's just absolutely dark. The windows of your soul haven't been completely dark and morally. I'm guessing that you, many of you are following God, or some of you are at least very close to taking that step to begin to follow God. And you do want to be a person of honor. You do want to be a person who can be trusted. And the last thing in the world you want to do is to tear your home apart or to disappoint people that love you very much. And so for that reason today, we're going to spend a whole weekend talking about why people cheat. Now, the first thing I want to do is I want to give you a category of reasons, because I think there are reasons why people break marriage vows, break commitments. There are, people, there are reasons why people step outside of relationships and get involved with somebody else. Through the years of counseling, I've developed what I call the big six, now, there may be other reasons why people cheat, but these are the ones that, that I look at and say, as I listen to people, these are the reasons. Number one, let's just, take it, let's just take the first one that all of us would imagine, lust. Sex is a drive. There's a hunger for that action, for, for that experience in us. And from time to time, a person uh, will have a hunger, whether it's a hunger that's created by an absence of the right kind of sex and the right kind of relationship, or in some cases, it can just be something that's stimulated by, by someone that we meet. But lust is a reason why people cheat. I remember counseling a, a professional, actually a Christian professional, who lived in another city. I, I don't know if you could really call it counseling. I just had a series of phone conversations with him. And he called to talk to me about the fact that he had become um, in, enamored or attracted to a woman that he worked with. 
I happen to know that he was married to a wonderful Christian woman who loved him deeply. Okay, I'll hand you the fact that she wasn't a, a model, but, you know, he wasn't the greatest thing in the world either. And so I asked him, I said, how can you be, a, how can you be attracted to somebody when you have such a wonderful wife? And here's how he answered me. He kind of shocked me when he answered me. He began to tick off the characteristics of this woman he was attracted to. And he, he, he did it in a contrast comparison situation in which he compared his wife with this woman, and his wife always came up unfavorably. This other woman had better characteristics than his wife had. And he just said, I'm just attracted to her. Well, let's call that what it is. He tried to put a higher spin on it, but that's just lust. There's, it's nothing more, nothing less. It's just plain lust. And all of us are capable of that. Jesus understood that. In fact, he talked to men about this, and he said, you know, you've heard it said not to commit adultery with a woman. But he said, I'm telling you not to lust after someone who doesn't belong to you. And Jesus said, if you do that, you commit adultery with your already in your heart. Now, some people take that to mean that that's the same thing as adultery. It's absolutely not. There are a ton of ramifications in actual adultery that don't exist with, with what Jesus talked about. But he was just setting up the paradigm for us to explain to us that lust is a powerful thing. It can get us into a lot of trouble. But lust is only number one out of six of the reasons why people cheat. Let me give you the, the second one that I've heard through the years, and that's boredom. You know, when, you, when you're in a relationship that leads to marriage or leads to engagement or leads to a serious commitment, there's the thrills and chills of that relationship. But in every relationship, there's going to be a settling effect. You know, when there's newness, there's a certain zing that doesn't, it isn't there after a while. And, and here's the thing. Boredom can set in, especially if we're people that really enjoy the pursuit, the pursuing and the being pursued. And I've heard people tell me stories of, well, Mark, I just got bored in my marriage. I'm married to a good woman. I'm married to a good man, lots of fine qualities. And often they would sit there and tell me all the wonderful qualities of their spouse, but just bored. Maybe they missed the drama of the dating scene, or maybe they missed the drama of the, of the, of the relationship. Something new. Last night before I came to speak twice, I was reading a, um, a study conducted by a number of psychologists, not, not Christian necessarily, but they had just dealt with this question, why do people cheat? And, and, and they, they said this is one of the primary reasons. People want to see themselves through the eyes of someone new. Because after a while, if you're in a committed relationship, you see yourself through the eyes of that person that's there with you every day, that showers you know, in, in your bathroom, dresses in your, you know, dresses in your room. You know, there's maybe a lot of good things going on in your marriage, but after a while you see yourself through the eyes of a person who's with you every day. There can be the attraction of seeing yourself through the eyes of somebody brand new. And the psychologist has said this is a very strong reason why people cheat. Number three on my list is frustration or agitation. I've had people tell me, and, and it goes something like this, Mark, I cheated because I came to the place in my relationship slash marriage, I came to the place where I said, she's never going to change. He's never going to change. One of the most dangerous emotions any of us can have in a committed relationship is when we come to believe the other person can't change, isn't going to change. And you know, I will tell you this, not in this particular area of cheating, but in other areas of my life, I warn myself every day, beware of frustration, beware of agitation. Those two things will make you do some really dumb stuff. I mean, if you'll think about it for a moment, how many foolish things have we did, done through the years because we were just frustrated with life? 
And so this is, this is a reason why people have told me through the years they've cheated. They were frustrated. Number four is loneliness. Loneliness. All of us need that human touch. And you know, sometimes, you know, you can just be lonely. Maybe there's distance in your marriage. Maybe there's distance in the relationship. It could be geographical dif- distance. More often, it's, it's distance that's emotional. You know, I can, I can tell you this. In years of counseling with people, and, and, and many times they're at the point of breaking up, and I would ask them, how did you get from being in love to being ready to break up? And this is the answer that I've gotten so many times. Mark, we just drifted apart. You know, drift will happen if you're not proactive. There are just so many things that will cause you to drift apart. Just the challenges of life, raising kids, prosecuting careers, dealing with financial issues. You can love the person that you're married to more than anybody else in the world, but if you don't stay proactively in each other's life, you will drift apart. And, and, and I can't tell you how many times when I ask someone how they could cheat, they would say, Mark, we just drifted apart, and I was just hungry for that touch. I was just hungry for that warmth of having somebody close to me. Number five is hurt. <laughs> now, I, I, I can't pr- process this personally, but I've just heard it so many times. People sometimes cheat because they're mad at the person they're married to. I've had people say, I was so mad at him, I was just going to get even somehow, and I knew this would work. Well, you know, that's like being out in a rowboat in the middle of a deep lake, being mad at the other person in the boat with you, and saying, I'm mad at you, taking your hammer and, and creating a hole in the bottom of the boat. You go both sink, you know? And, but I've, I've had people that just blindly said, I'm, I was mad at her. I decided I was going to do something to get even with her. And because of hurt, there is this idea, if I find somebody, there is going to be sexual healing. Well, let me just tell you, this brings up a wonderful opportunity for me to say something that is big on my mind today as I bring this talk to you. You know, you think as popular as adultery and sexual misconduct is in our world today, you would think that there would be a huge takeaway from it, that people would really be satisfied from it. I've talked to so many cheaters in my life, people, good people who've fallen. And you know, I don't think I remember anybody who came to me and said, Mark, it was everything I thought it was going to be. Well, maybe after the first or second hookup. But you give it time. And most people will will come back and say, it promised so much, it delivered so little. Wish I could tell you how many people have said to me, I thought it was going to be great, Mark, but when I was getting dressed to leave, I felt filthy. I think sometimes people... You know, in their hurt and their frustration and their loneliness, they're not thinking clearly. And because of that, they, they deal with challenges. Well, last on my list is, is flattery. <laughs> you know, let me, just, let me do an exercise with all of us because my, my gut is that all of us have experienced this to some level. We have within us an ego that loves to be stroked. And especially about our appearance or about something that we consider very important, whether it's our, our, our work that we do or our, the, our mind. We love somebody stroking our ego. Many affairs start because somebody flattered somebody else. And you know, let me ask you, here's the question I want to ask you. How many times has someone flattered you and all of a sudden, somebody who wasn't even on your radar screen is on your monitor? You, somebody you've never even thought about. Now you're thinking about. You know, he says to you at the office one day, hey, you look great today. Hey, you've never looked at the guy before, never even thought about him. But the next day when you're getting dressed, it's like, hmm, wonder what he's going to think about this. Or she says to you, you know, 
I, I just, you know, I hope you don't take this in the wrong way. I mean, I'm not, I don't mean anything by this, but I just want you to know you're really hot. Now, it probably isn't true. You know, I, I am, the point here is flattery. But it could be, you know what, I probably should uh, go to the gym today and get back on my workout regimen. Flattery. I mean, I know we're chuckling about this, but I got to tell you, in 33 years of pastoring and listening to all kinds of stories, you'd be amazed at how many times it's just plain flattery. So these are the six reasons, in case you missed any of them. They're lust, boredom, frustration, loneliness, hurt, flattery. Now, maybe you've got some that I haven't thought of, but these are the reasons. But now I want to move to a different category, because not only are there reasons why people cheat, I think there are factors that bear on it. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Entertainment. See, I think that the entertainment that you and I are exposed to all the time sort of creates a sense of cheating being okay. Cheating is the norm. If you go by entertainment today, the idea is everybody's doing it. Why not you? I mean, listen, I'm going to get on the soapbox for a few moments. I promise I'm going to get right off. But I'm really troubled by entertainment that targets our children today. I mean, our children are being saturated with the message that being sexually promiscuous or sexually active is the norm. You know, abstinence is a good thing, but nobody can rise up to that standard. So let's just all celebrate the cesspool of, of sexual dysfunction. And, and I wonder sometimes, I mean, I, I wonder what, what are we as parents, what are we thinking? How are we going to deal with this? What is our... What is our, our MO? What's our method of operation when it comes to entertainment that, that we watch? And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just saying I wish you would wrestle with that question as I wrestle with it because it's a difficult one for me. I mean, the entertainment world today, is, it targets singles, and it basically says to singles, here's the point. You sleep with as many people as you can. And it's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, if you think about the entertainment that we're exposed to all the, all the time, I, I bet it has more of a bearing on you and me than we realize. Technology. Hey, I'm not ripping technology. I love it. It's a neutral thing. It's neither good nor bad. But let's just be honest with ourselves. Technology offers a lot of pressure in this area. I mean, after all, you can, you can get back with people that you went to high school with. You can talk to that friend who moved to another city. And beyond that, there's porn is saturating the, the internet. And, you know, there was a time when pornography was found only in the sleaziest parts of town. But now all you have to do is just look at the 600 channels that we have on our television. You can find anything that you want to find. I mean, it's just a technical world that's opened the door to a whole lot of things that are pressuring us in this particular area. And then there's culture. You know, back in the day, back in my grandparents' day, and I know this is going to sound old school, but the idea, the prevailing idea was that you kept yourself until you found your soul partner, your soul, your, your life mate, and then you married, and it was till death do you part, and you were faithful to that person. Now, I know that there were people who violated that, but I want to tell you, it was a great, it was the norm. There were cultural pressures on people that were immoral. And those walls have fallen down today. And, and like I said to you a few moments ago, the idea today is in the single world, I mean, if you're single, if you're dating, you just sleep with everybody. It doesn't matter who, I mean, that's what you do. You just hook up. That's recreational. That's just recreational sex. That's weekend sex. That's just a hookup, a casual hookup. 
And then you get married, and then somehow you flip the monogamy, monogamy switch, and you never cheat again. How realistic is that? I can tell you not very. So those are factors that bear on it. So I've given you six reasons and three factors, but I now want to move to a different place because as I studied for this message, I had two weekends off. I, was, I didn't speak last weekend in Watermark, so I've had a lot of time to prepare and study for this message. So here's what I did, and, and think with me for a moment to see how I came up with this. I decided to not read anything into the Bible. I just wanted to go to Scripture and read every chapter, every verse I could find on the subject of cheating. And I wanted to see what God says the reason why people cheat is. Now, I've been preaching for years, but it was like for the very first time, all the lights came on. And when I read why God said people cheat, it was interesting to me that it came down to only one thing. Now, I don't know if there are any other ADD people like me here today, but don't you just love it when the list only has one thing? I do. I get all over that. So thank you, God. Just one thing. And I discovered that whether I was in Proverbs or First Corinthians or I was in the Gospels, wherever I was in the Bible, God just kept coming back to this one reason why people cheat. You want to know what it is? God says people don't think. People don't think. Let me give you, I'll cherry pick for a moment. I want to give you three texts of Scripture to show you what I'm talking about. I could have selected all of them. But I want to give you three of these that are, I think are really powerful. Here's the first one. This is in Proverbs 6, verse 30. Hunger is no excuse for a thief to steal. When he's caught, he has to pay it back, even if he has to put his whole house in hock. Adultery is a, tell us what you really think, adultery is a brainless act, soul-destroying, self-destructive. Expect a bloody nose, a black eye, and a reputation ruined for good. For jealousy detonates rage in a cheated husband. Read that cheated wife as well. Wild for revenge, he, she won't make allowances. Nothing you say or pay will make it all right. Neither bribes nor reason will satisfy him or her. Oh, what does God say? It's brainless. We're not thinking. Well, what are we not thinking about? Well, in this particular verse, God is saying, we're not thinking that adultery doesn't work like other things. I'm talking to a lot of you who are in committed relationships, or you have been. Isn't it true that you can do some things wrong in a relationship, and pretty much you can make it right? Let's just say, you get up on the wrong side of bed, as they used to say, and you say something that's out of line, and you know it's out of line, and you go to the person you love, and you say, babe, I am really sorry. I was out of line. I said something I shouldn't have said. I'm going to try to learn from this, and I'll try not to ever do it again. Well, it's so easy at that point for us to say, all right, that's great. Or maybe you do something wrong, guys, and you send flowers, and you, you express to your wife, or you, you, know, you, you let her know, I know I've screwed up, I'm sorry I screwed up, I'm going to send flowers. And you know, we kiss, and make up sex, and all those things are so great, it's cool. Have you noticed adultery doesn't work that way? Uh, flowers don't work. I'm sorry, I don't know what happened doesn't work. God says it doesn't work. God says it's different. It's not like other things. It isn't something that you can open your your wallet or write a check or put your debit card down for and say, I'm just going to make this right. God says it can't be made right. And he said, people don't think about that. Let me give you another one. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18. There's a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others, and we just saw one of those. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize 
that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? In this verse, God is saying people who cheat don't, don't think about the value of their own bodies. Because Scripture says that when we sin in this way, when we cheat, we sin against our own bodies. And God is saying, think about this. Your body is where God lives. Your body is the temple of God. How can you take your body parts of the temple where God lives and join them together with somebody that's not your spouse? I mean, here's the deal. If you cheat, would you take Jesus with you? Would you bring Jesus into the room? You see, God is saying we don't think about these things. Our series, by the way, give me, a, give me a time out for a moment. Our series is called Shh. And, and it's about stuff that we don't talk about. Let me tell you what these six talks are going to be. Through the years of counseling, I've talked with a lot of people that were, we were really pretty much doing a post-mortem on a relationship that was dead. And I would listen to them and tell me their problems. And, and I, I can just tell you, I wish I had a dollar for every time I've sat in my office and said, man, if we only could have talked six months ago. If we could have just had a discussion six months ago, we could, have, we could have stopped all these problems. Well, that's what this series is about. I want to open the discussion because, see, here's the thing. Here's what we see in this particular verse. I know people talk about relationships all the time. I know people talk about sex all the time. I know people talk about their marriages all the time. And you can look at the title of our series and say, shh, things people don't talk about. You say, Mark, people talk about this stuff all the time, but they're not talking about what they should be talking about. We talk about trivial stuff, and we don't really talk about the things that are transformative. What I want to do in six weeks is, honestly, folks, I just want to give you the talk that I would have liked to have had with people before they went over the cliff. I think this is going to be an incredible series. Well, let's go back to that for a moment. There's one more verse where God says people who cheat are just not thinking. Maybe good people, maybe smart people, but at this moment in their life, they're just not thinking. In, in Proverbs chapter 9, it's a woman who's trying to seduce a man. Could just as easily be a man trying to seduce a woman. The gender here is not important. What's important is the principle. In Proverbs 9 verse 15, this woman calls out to men going by who are minding their own business. Stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. Well, think about that for a moment. What, what this woman is saying is sex inside of marriage is boring. Sex outside of marriage is more exciting. Bread eaten in secret is better. Stolen waters taste sweeter than waters that belong to you already. Well, isn't that pretty much the prevailing thought out there? I mean, let me give you, give you an exercise to think about for a moment. When you and I are checking out a movie to see whether we're going to go to the movie, and, and maybe we're reading you know, Go and The Eagle, or, or my personal favorite site is plugged in online, which sort of gives a Christian view on the movies that are out there and a review. We start looking for what's, what's negative about, isn't it by the way, interesting, they don't have to list for you what's positive about the movie, they have to list for you what's negative about the movie. And, and so here's the thing, you know, you know that you come across the word, it may say some sexuality, or it may have a, a different, different designation than that, but you know when they're telling you what's going to be in the movie that there's going to be sexuality. Now here's my question for you. That sexuality that we are told about, when you go to the movie, is that usually sex between a committed man and a woman, a married, married couple? Oh, yeah, right? No, no. Stolen waters are sweeter. I mean, it, the culture is still telling us what this woman said to the man in the book of Proverbs. 
But in verse 18, little do they know. Who are the they there? It's the guys that go in and have sex with this woman, although women have sex with the guy. Little do they know that the dead are there. Now, when I go to a funeral home, as I do many times, I know when I drive up, the dead are there. That is where the dead are in a funeral home. If I go to the cemetery, I know the dead are there. But we're not talking about a funeral home or a cemetery. We're talking about a place where a person hooks up with somebody that they don't belong to. And God is saying, this person, doesn't, when he goes in, he doesn't know that he's about to destroy his life and kill something that will never be there again. So if three times we've just seen that God is saying the reason why people cheat is that they don't think, well, let's just close out the message today by asking, what is it that good people who cheat, what is it that they aren't thinking about? Well, right out of the box, I'm guessing that you and I would say, well, Mark, they're not thinking about the cost. But I think that's too easy. Because I'll tell you the truth, I've come to believe that a lot of people who cheat are trying to process the cost. Now, obviously, they haven't really realized it. But I think that if we start looking at what God has to say, we'll understand that there are some other things that they're not thinking about. So for all of us who don't want to cheat, for all of us who want to have an affair-proof marriage, let me, let me give you three things as I study God's Word that I realize people who cheat are not thinking about. The first thing is they're not thinking about how a relationship is supposed to work. For all of us who are married or in a committed relationship, there is a way God has intended for that relationship to work. For a person to cheat, they would have to misunderstand how a marriage, how a committed relationship is supposed to work. Thankfully for us, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, we get it in one sentence. So if you're married, if you're in a committed relationship, if you're engaged, let me read to you how your relationship is supposed to work. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I hate it when ministers start telling you what it says in Greek, but I'm about to do it anyway, okay? I just hate that. But you have to understand the New Testament was written in Greek, and the reason why a lot of times ministers are tempted to tell you what the Greek word is for something, Greek is a much more colorful language than English. It's a much more specific language than English. So I want to think about that word for a moment, submit, because it says submit to one another. The Greek word is actually two words jammed together, hupotasso. Hupo, most of the time when we're used to seeing that prefix, it's not the U that's in there, it's a Y, hypo. Hypo means under. If, if you have a hypodermic syringe, it goes under the dermis or under the skin. Hypo, hupo is under, okay? So we've got half the word. Tasso means to organize with a sense of priority, in other words, it means to arrange things according to a particular priority. So the word submit means to arrange things in the correct order underneath. And we're to do that with each other. Well, wow. let me just give it to you in plain English. What that means is in my marriage, I am to arrange the priorities of my life so that I, you ready for this, always come in under Mary Alice. In other words, every priority of our relationship needs to be with Mary Allen's when it's my way of looking at it. Her needs come before my needs. Her well-being comes before my well-being. I know I may as well be speaking Greek to some of you now because we're in such a culture that's so self-centered and narcissistic. I know I'm 
I mean, trust me, last night it got so quiet, I got scared. I was wishing a baby would cry, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, it was freaky setting up here. It was like people weren't breathing. So I, I, I get it. I know I'm swimming upstream today. I know that. But I'm talking about God is saying, this is how a relationship is supposed to work. Mary Alice's needs come before mine. Mary Alice's interests are, are predominant to mine. Mary Alice's well-being is over mine. Everything that takes place in our relationship, she comes before me. Now, it says submit to one another. So the cool thing is, when Mary Alice looks at the relationship, my needs come before hers. My, well, my self-interest come before hers. My well-being comes before hers. I know this is upstream, but can you imagine a relationship where two people are so committed to each other that the other person always comes first? It'd be mind-blowing what would happen in that relationship. Now, I want to give you one more Greek word, and I promise to be the last Greek word for the morning until the next service. The word reverence there. Some of you have a translation that says fear. In other words, we are to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. A little bit of an unusual word for fear here. It is the word phobos. Anybody want to take a crack at a word we get from that? Yeah, you're right, phobia. Now, I don't know what your phobias are. I don't like height. I'm acrophobic. I don't like a height. It's kind of fun for me every once in a while to read the list of, 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 of phobias that people have. There's even one phobia. I can never pronounce it, but it's the fear of the number 13. Whatever phobies you have, God is saying, look, if you're in a committed relationship, you only need to have one phobia. Be afraid. You ready for this? Be afraid of putting yourself first in the relationship. God wants Mark to have a phobia that somehow I'm going to put my interest ahead of Mary Alice. And I mean, God wants me to have a full-blown phobia about that. Why? Because if I put myself first, I run the risk of destroying everything that's important in my life. Isn't that backward? We're so afraid that we're going to come out behind. We're so afraid that we have to come out first. And God is saying, look, have a phobia about being first. Today we build relationships based on the other person's ability to make us happy. When we talk to people, hey, you, you, you tell me, isn't this true? When we talk to people, you know, who are about to get married or they're, they're about to be in a committed relationship, and here's what we ask them. We say, well, why him? Or why her? And the answer will come back like this. Well, he makes me happy. Or she completes me. Or he makes me laugh. In other words, something the other person does for me. That's the reason why we pick somebody. And see how backward that is to Ephesians? I mean, God is saying, look, you need to have a phobia about putting yourself first. And yet, when we ask people, why do they pick somebody? Well, this person makes me happy, completes me, makes me smile. I have two questions for that. Number one, what happens on the day when she doesn't make you laugh? What happens on the day when he doesn't complete you? What happens on the day when he doesn't make you happy? But that day is coming. I mean, you show me the best marriage here, and they're going to be bad days. And in the best relationships here, they're going to be seasons where things don't go well. Every, every strong marriage here today, you could probably tell me some season in your, in your life where there were just so many pressures and difficulties and challenges, and you were trying to learn how to get along with each other, and it wasn't going as well as you would have liked. You would tell me you made it through a rough patch. 
You see my point? I'm asking, if the whole thing is about the other person making us happy, what do you do on the day when the other person isn't making you happy? Or more critically, what do you do on the day when somebody else seems to make you happier? It's a painful point for me to bring across to you this morning, but here is the reality. If my goals in my marriage and my relationship are self-centered, take a deep breath, you ready? If my goals are self-centered, by definition, the other person is disposable. Just keeping it real. If my marriage to Mary Alice is all about me, she becomes disposable. Let's take that to another place. If the other person is disposable, by definition, the relationship is temporary. Now, before I came to worship last night, I stopped by Quick Trip and I bought some disposable razors. This, these three disposable razors cost me the princely sum of $1.23 with tax. Now, isn't it true, I know what I'm buying when I, I understand very clearly, I did not buy a family heirloom last night. I mean, this is not something that I'm going to put in my will to leave to my kids. I know the very nature of my purchase is these are disposable, and because they are disposable, they are temporary. And when they become dull and can't cut it anymore, (laughs) they go in the trash, and I'll be honest, just, I mean, you guys expect me to be blunt. That's what I am. I realize I'm not the normal preacher. But I will tell you this, there are a lot of people in relationships just like this. They go into it, it's all about me, as long as the person makes me happy, we're fine. But when the person becomes dull and can't cut it anymore, next. That's getting quiet in here this morning. How do we beat this? For every one of you who's in a committed relationship today, I want to give you a homework, all right? You don't have to do it today, but someday when you're like looking in, into each other's eyes at a restaurant and candlelight, I hope you do that. To every person here, I want to ask you, I want to challenge you. Look across the table at the person you love more than anybody else and say something like this. I want to be faithful to you, and I want you to be faithful to me. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? Second thing people don't think about when they cheat, and I'm, again, I'm talking about good people. The second thing that people don't think about when they cheat is the slope. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you yet, probably, but let me see if I can help it mean something to you. See, if, I don't know if any of the rest of you have had this experience, but I'm betting a lot of you have. Have you ever had a friend or maybe a family member who was about to cheat? Or maybe was already beginning a relationship with somebody. And, and it just scared you to death. And you, you said, I, I don't know what my friend's thinking. That, that's not him. That's not the guy I know. That's not, that's not the gal I know. Something's not right. And, and you know that they're married to the person that loves them more than anybody else. And the person who's going to be there. And yet they're hooking up with somebody that, that couldn't care less about them. And you know that they're, they're running the risk of just like ruining their reputation and destroying their family. And, and here's what you and I say. And I, Lord knows I've said this to myself many times when I've been dealing with friends. They just don't see. 
They don't see what's coming. They don't see what they're about to lose. I'm just going to invite my friend to Starbucks. We're going to buy a cup of coffee. I'm going to sit across the table, and I'm going to open their eyes because I can get through to this person. I can tell them what they're about to lose. And you're thinking to yourself as you go into that meeting, it's all about an absence of information. I'm just going to give them the information, and they'll say, yes, thank you for talking to me. I get it now. I don't want to destroy my life. Only to sit there at the table and to have your friend say, I've thought about everything you're telling me a hundred times, but I can't stop. You know what I think? I think they're telling you the truth. If you're out hiking, isn't it true that you could put yourself on such a, a, a slope that you can't stand no matter how hard you try? The slope is so steep, you're going to fall. You just cannot stand on it. I honestly believe that when it comes to areas of of faithfulness and sexuality, you and I are standing on ground today. We're standing on level ground. Level ground, it's not hard. You don't slip on level ground. Or we're standing on a slope, a slope that we create. See, people, I've spent a lot of my time counseling Christian leaders who have fallen into this particular sin. And I've had pastors and Christian leaders that I've helped counsel through this, and they've tried to sell me something that I don't believe. They will say, Mark, I was just walking along basically minding my own business, and I just fell into adultery. I don't believe that for one minute. Hogwash. They created a slope. Maybe, you know, here's a guy just saying, well, I'm on the, you know, I'm on the internet, and whoa, look at that, and, and I think I want to see more of those images, and nobody will ever know, and or I'm, you know, just flirting with somebody at the office. It, it doesn't mean anything. We just kind of have fun with each other. And, you know, I'm, I'm traveling. And, yeah, I mean, I'm a thousand miles away from home. And I'm with somebody that I work with. And, you know, she thinks I'm hot. But, shoot, we're just kidding each other. We just got a little playful flirtation going on. But, you know, I think I'll invite her back to my room when this, you know, meeting is over tonight. Maybe for a drink or Now, here's the thing about a slope, this kind of slope. If you're hiking, you can see a slope before you stand on it. But the problem with this kind of slope is, see, people think they're in control. And they're saying, well, I can handle this grade. I can handle this pitch. But the fact of the matter is, there's always that moment when we've created such a slope that we can't stand on, and we don't know it until it's too late. So what do you do in your life in this particular area? I know I'm old school today. I promise you, I realize I'm going old school. I mean, I told the Lord before I preached this sermon, I said, Father, I almost feel like I'm trying to squirt a, you know, a squirt gun in hell when I think about the culture out here today. I mean, I realize what an uphill message this is. But I'm just asking, are there people out here like me that say, I don't want to ruin my life? I mean, even some of us who have fallen, you know, you may be here today and you're saying, Mark, I've actually fallen into this sin before, but you don't want to fall anymore. You, you, want, you want your life to be right. So, so, don't we ask the question, how, how, do I stay, how do I stay right in a world that's so messed up? I want to say to you, stay on level ground. Don't allow anything in your life that causes that slope to drop. Whether it's what you watch on the internet, whether it's entertainment, what it's, if it's your relationships with the opposite sex, keep them right. And I think we know what we're talking about today. I've got to stop because I'm in overtime. Third thing people don't think about when they cheat is they don't think about how valuable they are to God. You and I 
have been called to be God followers. We have been adopted as God's children. Do you realize what a high calling that is? So if you're called to follow God, what's God like? Does God cheat? Every weekend I invite people to get into a relationship with God. Does God cheat on that? Some people believe he does. Some people believe that if you do wrong, God will drop you from his family. I can't find that in the Bible. I guess it's just human nature to expect God to be like that. If you handed me a Bible this morning and say, Mark, find me the verse in the Bible that shocks you the most, it would just take me a second because I know it. There is one verse in the Bible that I have to look at four or five times to say, am I really reading what I think I'm reading? Because see, here's the thing. When you and I are in a relationship with God, God is so important and so big and we're so flawed, we would think, this is what's wrong with religion, we would think, man, I must really have to perform or God will, be, God will leave the room. Here is the most shocking verse in my Bible. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is. That means even when we cheat on God, he will never cheat on us. Even when we don't keep our word to him, he will always keep his word to us. Even when we don't love him with unconditional love, he will always love us with unconditional love. Even when we're angry at him, he won't be angry at us. If I cheat on Mary Alice, and God forbid, I, I never want to do that. I pray I never do. But if I do that, I am lowering myself away from the place where God has called me. God has called me to be like him. And if God never cheats, I should never cheat. Thanks for listening today. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would make this message very clear and real and strong in our minds today. And Lord, I pray for those who may be close to doing something wrong. I pray that you'll help them before they go off the cliff. And Father, for those who have sinned in this area, I pray that you will just help them to realize that you're their hope and their healing. And they can come to you and by faith turn from that dark chapter in their lives and go on and live a godly life, a pure life, a life in which you can use them greatly, for your word promises that. And Lord, I pray for every young person here today. I especially pray for our teens and our kids growing up in the world that's so dark. Father, would you just touch them with your power and grace and help them to rise above this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quickly, and I know I'm way in overtime, and I'm so sorry for that. But I just want to ask you, if you've ever had a relationship with Jesus Christ, because here's the thing, if you get into a relationship with God, he will never cheat on you. He will keep you until you go to heaven. And, and the Bible says it's not through religion, it's by receiving a gift. And there's only several things that you need to know and understand to have a relationship with God. Number one, you're in, you're in our sinners. Number two, Jesus paid for our sins when he died for us on the cross. And number three, he got up out of his grave under his own power. And he is the king of glory. And when, if you will invite him into your life to become your savior and Lord, you'll be in a relationship that will never break. 
It's a gift, and all you have to do to receive a gift is just ask for it. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and I know these are brief words, but the important thing is what you mean in your heart. If you want a relationship with God, you have no idea how much God wants a relationship with you. So I'm going to pray this prayer. These aren't magic words, but if you'll mean them in your heart, God will be on the other end of it. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I agree that I'm a sinner, and I realize I can't save myself. But I believe you love me unconditionally. I believe Jesus died for me. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen.